<laughs> right. This Bible reading is from Luke 1, 46 to 55, and it's on page 1025. So I'm just going to give you a minute to find it in your Bibles. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost, inmost thoughts. He has brought down rules, rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Well, good morning, everybody. And good morning to you at home and also good morning to you in the courtyard. See you out there later. So my name's Deborah, and I'm on the staff here at St Matthew's. It's a real pleasure to be part of the Advent series. And we're right in the middle of it and I encourage you, if you didn't hear Scott's message last week, to go onto YouTube and listen to it. And Andrew's message at 8am this morning was a wonderful thing to listen to in the middle of our Advent series. In some churches, Advent's a really big thing, and in other churches, it's not a big thing at all. If just looking forward to Jesus' birth and thinking about what it meant for Jesus to come first as a human baby, and what it means as we wait for him to come again. In some churches, they light candles, and they do all those sorts of things week after week, and in other churches, not so much. And I think sometimes as we look at a woman called Mary today, that it's a similar thing that happens. In some churches, Mary has a very, very, very big um, place to play. And in other churches, she just comes out pretty much at Christmas and maybe just gets mentioned occasionally. So I, got, I grew up where Mary figured a great deal throughout the year. And these are the sort of pictures that I saw of Mary. Madonna and child... The one in the middle, that was the one that was really familiar to me. I had a little picture of that that went into my prayer book. Always in blue. Interestingly, always in blue. Then at Christmas, different images would come out. Mary, but Joseph, stars, angels, shepherds, camels, mangers, wise men. These things are fairly traditional pictures. Mary's still pretty much in blue. A lot of blue there for Mary. And here's some more contemporary images. Mary actually looking pregnant, which is a contemporary thing to do. And Mary looking completely abstract, Mary looking completely faceless. And there's lots of Marys from different ethnic backgrounds if you want to have a little search for it. But what colour do you notice? Blue. She's still wearing blue. That begs a question. 
did Mary actually wear blue? And that begs, uh, um, begs a, big, a bigger question, how much can we actually know about Mary? What do you actually know about Mary? So we're going to have a quick quiz that's just a call-out quiz that's going to go like this, 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 and you have to call out the answers to this. What was the name of Mary's husband? Excellent. What did Joseph do for a living? Excellent. Approximately how many other children did Mary have? Approximately six. She had at least four brothers, I'm being very exact here, and some sisters. That's all we can actually say with certainty. Scott thinks six. We'll talk about it later. Where did Mary and Joseph go after they left Bethlehem? Egypt. Egypt. Not as many people knew that. What was Mary's relative's name? Excellent. And what else do we know about Mary? Not a lot, actually, when it comes down to it. There are a few other things, but you're very familiar with Mary because you've heard about her uh, quite a lot of times. But we don't have a lot of details about her life. But the few things that Mary does actually say are worth us delving into. The first thing we'll look at is her response when she was visited by the angel. Most of us are familiar with the story that the Bible tells us there in Luke 1, if you've got it open before you, you'll find it helpful, Luke 1, that an angel appears and tells her not to be afraid. The angel also tells her that she would become pregnant and have a baby boy and he would be named Jesus and this baby would be called Son of the Most High. Now Mary's initial response was pretty pragmatic. How will this be, she said. I'm, I'm a virgin. How is it possible? And the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. No word from God ever fails. Now to find herself pregnant, miraculously, that must have been quite a thing to take in first. But to be pregnant outside of marriage, which made being stoned a real possibility in first century Palestine, that made her situ very, situation very dire. And then to consider the possibility that Joseph would break off the engagement, which he does actually consider doing, and we'll hear about that next week, and even her own family and community would possibly and most probably reject her when there was no social services, there were no child benefits, and she would be in a very difficult situation socially. A modern question that we might ask might be, how did Mary feel? What was Mary thinking? But we've got no idea how she was actually feeling and what she was actually thinking. What we do know is what she said in response. And what she said is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to be, be fulfilled. Now I find this response amazing. Like we heard in the prayers, sometimes we just can get so used to the Christmas story that we lose the wonder of it. And perhaps we get so used to hearing Mary say, okay, that we think that it wasn't a big challenge for her, that she'd been just sitting there in Palestine waiting for this all her life, or somehow because she was Mary, the mother of Jesus, that like she was up for it in a way that other people that weren't Mary, the mother of Jesus, wouldn't be up for it. Would you say that? You, if someone, an angel came upon you, just think of yourself, walking home from work, cycling, sitting at your desk, walking back from the ferry, and an angel comes and says to you, I'm going to do, I, this is going to happen to you, makes a humanly, completely ridiculous claim just in the middle of your ordinary life. Would you say, cool, yeah, I'm up for that straight away. Would you sit there and say, I'm the Lord's servant? 
May it be to me, may your word be to me be fulfilled. How could Mary have responded so positively? Because Mary knew what she believed. But more importantly, she knew who she believed. And today's reading from Luke captures perfectly the very foundation of her faith. So after the angel visitors visits her, just to give us some context, Mary goes almost immediately to visit Elizabeth and Elizabeth greets her. And the Bible says, and Mary said. And then lays out what Mary said as if it was a poem. And that poem has been taken and set to song many, many times over hundreds and hundreds of years. And there was a time in the church where they sang Mary's song, which you may have heard called the Magnificat. Every single day at afternoon prayers, they sang Mary's song. And there are many parts of the Bible that have been taken and turned into songs that are sung in services. And we take many parts of the Bible and sing them in our songs. So we're going to look at Mary's song and see what it is that enables Mary to respond so positively. First of all, she starts with praise. Not just praise, she rejoices. And this is the way so many other songs in the Bible start. First, praise and rejoice in who God is. But why is she so joyful? Before any of this has happened. Because God is her saviour. Mary doesn't think that he's chosen her because she's perfect, that he's already scanned around and thought to himself, she's the one because she's so good or because she's perfectly fitted. She knows she needs a saviour. She knows that God is that saviour. He saved her thus far. He's promised to save Israel and he'll continue to do so. He know, she knows her saviour. And she knows too that God often chooses the humble often chooses the humble to bring about his purposes. The Old Testament is full of accounts of God using humble people, both humble in heart, but also very humble in circumstances. And no one could have been humbler than Mary that day. No one was going to be in a humbler position than Mary over the coming months. And she knows that in many ways, she is in a perfect position. There's a lot of reasons for that. And she moves from the great honour of what God has done for her to proclaim that he hasn't just been merciful towards her, he's merciful towards all who fear him. And she's grateful on their behalf as well, not just on her own behalf. And she's not talking about that fear and dread type of fear. She's talking about healthy fear. She's talking about the fear that we have when we step out to cross the road and we look right and we see a semi-trailer coming down the road and we step back because our healthy fear says, that will flatten you, don't cross the road. And so it's a sort of healthy fear that says, get on God's side, get on God's side because he has power and authority. It's a fear that's tinged with reverence and it's tinged with awe because you know that God has both the right to judge and the power to judge. It's a nice, healthy fear. And she knows that his judgment falls very heavily on the proud, on those that don't fear him. She knows what the scripture says, that he brings down rulers and he sends the rich away empty, but he look out, looks after and cares for the humble, those that acknowledge him. The Bible always makes it clear 
that God judges the rich and powerful and he is on the side of the poor and the powerless. But it's not the riches themselves that God objects to. It's the fact that in many cases, wealth and power and riches are accompanied and associated with pride. And it's pride that God objects to. And on the other side, we know very well that the, that the poor and powerless aren't always humble. And so we need to look again at verse 51, that he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. We see that God looks at the heart. And she would have been familiar with Samuel. She would have been familiar to God's words to Samuel where he says, the Lord does not look at the things we look at. We look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The fact is that we can't be the judge of the rich and powerful or the poor and powerless. It's God alone that can discern the heart. And he has discerned Mary's heart. And finally, Mary also knows that she's just one part of a much bigger story. God promised to set the world to rights hundreds of years before, and in her song she acknowledges Abraham and the many that followed him to be obedient in their own time. And Mary sees that she's being called to the same obedience. And she trusts that the promises that God made to Abraham would be fulfilled and that here was an opportunity for them to be fulfilled through her and for all generations. And there her song ends. For Mary, she humbly sees herself as one of many who have their part to play in God's plan for the world. It's a pretty significant part, I grant you. Mother of Jesus is a very significant part to play. But her simple response, may it be to me as you have said, has its foundation in what she believes about God and how she sees herself in relation to God. And that's the song that she sang. She would do it God's way. Well, what about us? What's the song that we're singing? What song are you singing? Is it a God's way song? If someone wrote your story and you could provide the words to a song about your life, for your story, what would the words be? What would your words be? I'm sure that some of you would be familiar with an old standard I did it my way. You're all pretty familiar with that. Now I think most of us are here today because we actually do want to do it God's way. And even those of us that are here that are maybe are just open to doing it God's way, we're not sure yet, we're open to it. But one of the greatest obstacles that we have to doing it God's way is that quite often we want to do it God's way, my way. But God's way, but my way. We live in a very individualistic culture. We want to work things out for ourselves. We want choices. It's my, it's, I'm me. It's my identity. The Bible tells me I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't want other telling, people telling me what wonderful is. I don't want someone else telling me that this is wonderful. The Bible tells me that God has prepared a way for me to walk. I don't want other people telling me what that way is. Sometimes I don't even want God telling me what that way is. I want to decide what way it is. God's way, but my way to walk. And the Bible talks about relationships. 
and forgiveness and love. And I want to interpret what that means for me. I want to interpret what relations are like. God's way, but my way. I want God's way, but God's way the way I think it should look. I've got lots of questions about God's way. Now back to Mary. Did Mary question God's way? Well, she questioned the angel about the practicalities and was told not to worry. And after that bit, she pretty much said, okay, let it be your way. And Jesus himself makes a similar choice. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was saying to his father, I don't really want to do it this way if it's possible to do it another way. But if this is the way, if this is your will, I'm up for it. And that willingness is what took Jesus to the cross. But not because he wanted to suffer. Because doing it God's way doesn't necessarily mean wanting to suffer or wanting to forego pleasure, or wanting to do things the hard way, or wanting to look foolish in the eyes of the world. It's doing it and being willing to do it if it's necessary to do it. And Jesus was willing for God's sake. Jesus was all about honouring and glorifying his Father. And Mary was willing to do it God's way. Willing because her life song was full of the truths that she knew about God, about his love, about his faithfulness and about his plans for the future. And we, we know so much more than Mary knew. We know Jesus. She was waiting for the Messiah. We knew, we know the Messiah. We can take Mary's song the truths that enabled her to make such a positive response, and we can add to it. We can add things like that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, God died for us. Christ died for us. We can add that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he appeared. In fact, when I was trying to select some scriptures I had so many scriptures I thought well my song will be very 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 long and if I tell you all then the sermon will never end and you won't get to write your own song so I had a very serious problem trying to select we have so many truths that we can add to our songs but there's two that I think that we can add in this season of advent as we're waiting for Jesus to come again look he says I'm coming soon my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I'll give to each That needs to be a truth in my song. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. What a relief. What an amazing picture to be able to trust for the pain and suffering that we see in the world. So my encouragement to you from this woman called Mary is to make your life song a God song. Because the God that was her saviour is your saviour. And you even know his name. You know that his name is Jesus. And sing that song first. Mary sang this song before she carried the baby to term. 
before she gave birth in a, in a manger, before she saw her son die on the cross. That was her song before. It wasn't a, oh great, God's done this, it's all over. It's, this is who God is before. Because we need the right to sing the right song every morning. Today, Lord, your will be done in my life because you're all these things. Then we're in the best possible position to face the challenges. Not that the challenges won't be hard at times or painful or difficult, but every day won't be difficult. And so some days you'll be in the best possible position to enjoy them and to rejoice in them in the Lord. And other days, best possible position to say, let it be your will in my life. And I encourage you to sing it to someone else. So when Mary arrived and Elizabeth greeted her, Mary said to Elizabeth. And the other week, Scott said to us in a sermon, I need to hear you sing. I need to hear your encouragement. I need to hear my brothers and sisters encourage me in the way that I should live. We need to sing our song to others. It grounds us in gospel truth to sing and to say the words that are true about God and to listen us this, to us this morning, sing together. How wonderful, how marvellous is so encouraging for us. So can you make Mary's song your song with all the things that you know about Jesus? Now, I know that what Mary was called to do was one-off. It's like one-off to carry Jesus. And nobody else is going to be asked to do that. But in many ways, what God calls each one of us is a one-off. He calls us to one life. We have one life. This is a one-off life, and we get one chance to live it, our own one-off life. And the song we sing makes a difference to how we live that one-off life. That precious, fearfully and wonderfully made one-off life that he knew all about you before you created me. He said, here's your life, and you have this one-off opportunity to live it. It helps us to rejoice in the birth of Jesus when we, our, our song is a God song. Our saviour in the midst of the pain and suffering that exists in the world and in the lives of those around us and very close to us. And it helps us to wait patiently for that time when he comes again. He is coming again. His reward is with him. We know that all the pain and all the suffering will have passed away and we will be with him forever. So make your song a God song. Fill your life with the truth of who God is as we wait for him in Advent to come. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And in the meantime, Lord, we are your servants. May your words to us be fulfilled. Amen.